0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to I've Been Thinking with Brietta. I am so excited to delve into this topic because it's something that I have definitely been thinking about over the last couple of days, you know, with the murder of George Floyd and how it has reignited this conversation about race in this country. a lot of people are starting to take a look at their professional lives as well as their personal relationships through the lens of how systemic racism is impacting them, whether that's negatively as a person of color or quite frankly, positively as a non-black or brown person. But as an actor, I definitely have been thinking about systemic racism and its place within the business of show. And recently, there's been this online movement called hashtag Broadway is racist. And if you don't know anything about it, I encourage you to hop on Instagram right now and look up the tag and see the multitude of personal um, stories and anecdotes that are being shared from actors and actresses of color and how they are battling racism on a daily basis while just trying to pursue their career in, um, in Broadway or on stage in, End in film. Um, But as I was reading all of these personal accounts, and certainly they're too numerous to try to share in this format, and quite frankly, too personal to um, not provide without the person's context, it made me really think about how. Racism is built into the machine, right? And we know that. It's built into the infrastructure of our country. So there's not really a place that you can go where you can escape it. But I really started thinking about typing. Um, And for those of you who aren't actors or in this profession, typing is really a sort of shortened version of the term typecast, which is essentially where you assign an actor or an actress sort of a character type, and it's based on the perceived appropriateness of what characters or roles that they will be seen for, and it's typically based on their appearance, um... And usually that uh, that appropriateness is fairly stereotypical. And quite frankly, the appropriateness of their appearance and how it sort of correlates to a role is typically not uh, defined by the actor themselves, but by the industry. And so especially in big theatrical productions... Um, Casting is super intense, and I don't say that lightly. It's interesting, COVID-19 hit right in the middle of audition season, and it's an intense process. You will see... um casting rooms filled to the brim, lines wrapped around for blocks and blocks, especially in New York, actors and actresses signing up at three o'clock in the morning, trying to be seen. And these poor, (laughs) these poor casting directors are having to field through thousands and thousands of artists trying to fill the slots of these roles for a project and sometimes for an entire season, but it's rapid fire and casting directors really only have so much time. And so they do fall back on typing just to sort of weed it out. Um, And so what happens is that there's this look that they're going for. And quite frankly, race plays a part in that. And so You know, you have one shot with handing in your headshot. They'll look at that piece of paper, that photo of you, and it is a very rapid fire sort of decision. Do they fit the type? Do they not? And then from there, that can really be the determining factor of whether or not you get seen. So the good news is, is if you fit the type, it can make your career I mean, we all know plenty of actors and actresses who play the same sorts of roles over and over again, and um, and it's really profitable for them. That type is marketable, it's, um, it's plentiful, and so typecasting can make your career in the sense of if you find that lane and it works for you, and it happens to be something that's uh, marketable or or in high demand, I should say, then that's a great thing. But typecasting can also break your career. You know, you can get stuck in a rut where people only want to see you for one type of role. And no matter the wide array of skills that you might have, people don't really want to see that, right? It's what happens to an actor like, I don't know, um, Michael Sierra, who is Probably in his 30s right now, but is seen as sort of the awkward guy, um, usually the awkward teenager. And it's like once you've aged out of that, don't you want your career to take you in a path where you're seen for other things that show a broader scope of your skill set? But sometimes you can just get stuck in those types and. Because show business is in fact a business, people want the formula to work. And so they just want to keep putting you in slot A and adding slot B with this actress and just slapping a new title on it and making a profit. Um, So the bad news is, is if your type isn't needed anymore... Neither are you, right So your type can certainly open doors for you and I've seen this time and time again, especially with super attractive actresses. you know a Megan Fox will have doors open for her because she's insanely gorgeous but it can also work against her because people don't want to see any depth from her perceived. Um, look. And so for someone like her, if she's not willing to fit into that slot anymore, or people don't want to see her in anything other than the beautiful bombshell sidekick, then her career can be limited. So if casting is looking for the girl next door, and that's the the trend for the season, great, you know that you're going to have tons of opportunities. But if the trend next year is to go for a completely different look, then unfortunately you're sort of kept out of of the opportunities that might be available. Now, what's interesting is like, We hear typing in the casting room and every single person will acknowledge that it's icky. (laughs) Like casting directors acknowledge it, directors acknowledge it. It's not great. It doesn't feel good on either side. As an actor or actress, you feel icky. The casting directors, they don't feel great about it. The directors themselves are probably uncomfortable with the with the the notion of having to fit someone in in the slot of like black, you know, black girl with curly hair or blonde white girl with ingenue features. Like, it's just weird. Um, And so nobody really likes it. But out of survival, I guess the practice has remained. But there's been a push to sort of move into what they call non-traditional casting. Other places will call it something like integrated casting or blind casting, short for um colorblind or gender blind casting. And really what it's supposed to be is the practice of casting without considering the ethnicity or the body shape or the sex or gender of an actor. Um, actually, and and someone who's listening to this can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Actors' Equity has really sort of fought against the term colorblind, um, preferring to use the term non-traditional casting. Um, And the official definition for non-traditional casting, it's defined as casting of ethnic minority actors in roles where race, ethnicity, and gender are not germane. And we've seen a couple of examples of that. The one that immediately pops into my mind is um, singer and actress Brandy Norwood, who played Cinderella. And her stepmother was played by Bernadette Peters. And um, fairy godmother was played by the late, great Whitney Houston. And race wasn't talked about at all. It was just what it was. Um, the Nutty Professor in 1996, Eddie Murphy played um, Sherman Clump, but that role had previously been played by Jerry Lewis. Um, another, ooh, another great example of this is Annie. I think that came out in like 1999. Audra McDonald played Grace, the secretary to Daddy Warbucks. Um, and y- you know the story, they get engaged at the end and there's no reference of race at all, right? So there's been some really great examples of non-traditional casting or blind casting, as it were. So in light of everything that's been happening in the world with the Black Lives Matter movement, with this reignited conversation about race in this country, systemic oppression, what that means for black and brown people, it made me start thinking about typecasting and specifically, does race matter in casting? And like, we know that it does because you can have a conversation about race in casting and in the very same conversation you'll hear someone say well race doesn't matter and then you'll hear someone say no it really really matters Um, especially typically the argument you'll hear is like well when it comes to historical accuracy should we really be going against type Um, And you'll see, obviously, there are exceptions to this. And the biggest example is the ever-popular Hamilton, where the creator and the performer's non-whiteness is the reason it's successful. Um, I believe Lynn, Lynn sort of had a comment that the reason why the non-whiteness of these characters is it's a comment about America then told by America now. And I believe that is a direct quote. So, you know, does race matter? And I really started digging deeper into this and I came across this amazing study that was published in the Journal of Gender, Social Policy and Law. Um, It was published in 2014 and it's titled, and the Oscar goes to, well, it can't be you, can it? A look at race-based casting and how it legalizes racism despite Title VII laws. And it's um, written by Latanya Sinkler. I believe that's the correct pronunciation. Well, when you read through this study, and if you're someone like me who loves a good study, it's a great reading. And in it, she talks about a professor, Russell Robinson, who explains, you know, there is this hierarchy, in the casting process, right? You have studio executives who sit at the top, they're followed by producers and the director. And lastly on that, that hierarchy is the casting director. And so typically race is rarely pivotal to the character themselves, right? Like when you really think about it, unless there is sort of historical context around race, it's typically not Um, pivotal to the storyline or to the theme in any sort of way. And yet race is often used as the qualifying characteristic in a breakdown. And so the study really goes on to talk about how, um, you know, when when a screenwriter or a playwright sits down to write their work, they construct their characters based on their creative process. And that process is protected by their creative freedom, but it's also protected by the First Amendment. They have the right to write their characters how they see fit, and you can't really challenge that, right? It's up to them. But herein lies the rub, because in order for that creative vision that they are protected by the First Amendment right to produce, in order for that to come to light, to be seen by the eyes of other people, you need, right, you need actors. And you need actors to fill all of these roles. It just so happens that acting is an occupation that a lot of people are doing and hoping to earn a living at. So because of that, breakdowns, and a breakdown is typically what actors look at when they're submitting themselves for a role, or when their manager or agent is submitting them for a role. Um, breakdowns will typically specify a character's race, right? It's it's the way they govern the types of people who are going to come in to audition for the role. So inevitably, When you look at a breakdown, it's going to say, we are looking for, and it will tell you a little bit about the character personality, it'll probably have some sort of like race slash ethnic leaning, um, and then some age or body type. Information held within there. So specifying that information really helps them to sort of weed out the process because if they don't, they would have a lot of people coming in that don't quote fit the creative vision. So in this particular study, I found this so fascinating. Professor Robinson performed a like three month study of breakdowns that were found in IMDB, which is the Internet Movie Database. And so they did this study between June 1st to August 31st of um, 2006. And in this three-month period, Professor Robinson found that 22.5% of the breakdowns identified a character as white. 8.1% 8.1% identified the characters as black, 5.2% identified as Latino, 4.3% as Asian, and 0.5 as Native American. And only 8.5 of the breakdowns were listed as open to all ethnicities. So that left about 50.9 um, breakdowns that did not mention a character's race at all. So when you think about that, half did not mention a character's race which makes you feel super optimistic, right? <laughs> like more than 50% of the roles did not have racial characteristics attached to them. And so the the inclination is to be like, well, if race isn't omitted or if race is omitted, then like that's a good thing. That means we're headed in the right direction. However, Professor Robinson um, in the study talked about the fact that when race was omitted, White was implied, right? So the underlying thought is that if they don't say race, they're implying that it's white because in order for them to ensure that people know that it's meant for an ethnic actor or um, an ethnic actress that they would actually put, we are looking for an African American actress, we are looking for an Asian actor for this role. So when you apply that logic, that if race is omitted, the implication is that it's white, then approximately 73.4% of all roles, according to this logic, are intended for Caucasians. And this rises to almost 82% if anyone includes the any ethnicity roles in the calculation. So when you think about that, based on this logic, doing a three-month study of breakdowns, 82% of all roles being broadcast or being um, sort of listed to be filled were intended for Caucasian actors and actresses, which means that it's probably super difficult for actors of any other race to find acting roles. And if you're an actor or an actress of color, you know this to be true, right? So what does that mean? That means that there's a lot of actors and actresses who have had their ability to practice their craft completely cut off for no other reason than skin color. It's not because of their abilities, it's not even because of access. Now, In the study, there's this anecdote that underscores this point really well. It's from actress Kimberly Russell. And the quote in the study talks about, the feeling is greater than frustration. It's an injustice. It's almost as if we're being raped or robbed of our craft because we are so limited in our opportunities. She goes on to say that Meryl Streep can do the classics and she can do she-devil, but women of color must choose between playing a hooker or not working. Korean actress Sandra Oh expressed that her agents have a hard time getting her auditions because of her race. There's another anecdote in there about Halle Berry um, when she sort of came across um, the lead role in the film Things We Lost in the Fire. Halle Berry talks about the fact that she had to fight for this role. She urged her agent to get her an audition. She was repeatedly denied the ability to try out for the part because the casting called for a white woman. Now, inevitably, she was able to meet with the director because of her career and her name, and she was able to land that role through having a conversation with the director. But the truth of the matter is the majority of actors don't have that kind of clout to have conversations with directors in order to change their mind. For most, the acting journey begins and ends with casting directors. And let's be honest, casting directors do not have the same ability to change things like the predetermined character structure of a breakdown. They're just not in, they don't have that type of power So what does that mean for solutions? If we're looking to have a diverse media makeup, then that means diversifying the gatekeepers. You know, Broadway and Hollywood remain light years behind the actual ethnic makeup of the United States. And industry leaders have for years used a whole bunch of different excuses to hide the fact that it's not about anything other than business, right? It is about being safe and, and in some instances, downright racist in keeping certain casting closed to actors of color. Now, that's true in film, it's true in television, and it's certainly true on the stage. Stats show that the number of television roles for actors of color dropped dramatically over the last 15 years, and Broadway is even further behind. Now, you're going to say that that's not necessarily true because you see great, Exceptions to that rule like Shonda Rhimes. <laughs> the, the great Shonda has shows like Scandal and Grey's Anatomy, and these are diverse casts and um, they're great, shining examples of, of, of diversity done right. You'll see other cable hits like The Walking Dead and, and shows like um, Empire on Fox or How to Get Away with Murder or Blackish or any of the ish shows. Oh, And just as an aside, if you have Netflix and you haven't seen Black AF, it is a must. It's it's such a great show. But, you know, all of these shows demonstrate the willingness of audiences to watch and support diverse shows. So what does that mean? The argument behind casting based on type, based on race characteristics, just doesn't hold water the way that it used to. We know this is a business, and we know that you know studio execs and producers are looking for the shows and the films and the and the television shows to be successful. After all, it is a business. And these trends that we see with shows like Scandal or How to Get Away with Murder or Blackish, while they are great indications of change. They haven't really reached the level of being indicative of actual systemic change. Because even though we see these great shows, we are still seeing underrepresentation in our casting chairs, in our production and creative teams, and actors of color are still being lost in the shuffle. And so I've been thinking about all of those things and putting that in the frame of the Black Lives Matter movement, putting that in the frame of the conversation that we're currently having about race in this country. And trying to figure out what do we do in order to elevate the conversation to a place where we actually impact change, where we actually see diverse people sitting in positions of power, not so that they can just throw open the gates and make it easier for actors of color to have roles, but that they can actually make the argument that it's better for business to have a diverse and inclusive and representative artistic repre- uh, artistic presentation for audiences to consume now you can think about all of those things and it feels really large and it feels really heady because when you get into an audition room you only have so much power right <laughs> like you only have 32 bars and sometimes you only have 16 in order to make an impression And you do everything that you know how to do in order to hone your craft and to be the best actor or actress that you can possibly be. And you walk away from those opportunities not always knowing if it's because I did poorly, if it's because I didn't fit the type, if it's because they found someone better, or if it just wasn't right in the moment. But the fact that one of those options can be, is it because I was black Is it because I'm an actor of color? If you walk out of a room knowing that you have that sense that they weren't looking at you seriously anyway, and you can have some sort of correlation that that might be because you're an actor of color, then there's something wrong with the system. And I don't know what the actual solution for it is, but I do know that the starting place is with transparency, with holding this business accountable for the fact that it has systematically tried to... um, try to tell us as actors and actresses of color that it's not really because of your race, it's because it's what's appropriate to the project. And the question becomes, who gets to decide what's appropriate? Who gets to decide what adds value to a creative piece? And in the midst of that, how do actors and actresses have not just a seat at a table, but a voice at the table? I'm opening up this conversation because this, in correlation with every single other thing that's happening in this world right now, is beginning to peel back the curtains and put us in a place where we can be more transparent and more honest about everything that's happening. Especially when we think about the fact that progress is slow. And the only way that we can start to gain ground in these areas is to have real conversations about it. And hopefully... This is the start of that. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope that you found something of value. I hope that if you have questions or comments or um, anything that you'd like to add to the conversation that you'll reach out to us, our information is going to be in the description box. I've been thinking about a lot of things, and so I hope that this gives you something great to think about. And as you're thinking it out and mulling it over, I hope you'll engage in conversation with us here on I've Been Thinking have a great day, you guys. Bye.